every time the Lord brings revival to his church, the church looks backwards. And it, we look backwards to the early church to see where we have gotten off track in the interim. And this is counterintuitive. You see, a revival means an improvement in the strength or conditioning of something that is existing. And in 2022, if we think of an improvement in the strength or conditioning of something that is currently existing, our minds are not drawn backwards to something older, rather forwards to something new. Like we have something that's existing, we wanna make it better, we implicitly think new technology, new innovation. What do we have now that we didn't have 50, 100, 1,000 years ago that we can make this thing better? What can we do to, we, to improve what we have? But as, as so often the case, the Lord uses the foolish things of the world to shame the thi th those who think that they are wise. And why? To glorify himself. So the Lord brings revival. We look backwards to the early church, which leads to reformation. And reformation, in any degree, takes his church back what it looked like closer to the book of Acts. When new churches form that value the authority of the Bible above everything else, they look back to the early church in the book of Acts to guide their formation. And this is how Redeemer started three years ago. Travis did an amazing job at explaining how we started and where we came from. So we started with small groups studying the book of Acts. Elders determined by the Holy Spirit to form a church as close as possible to that which we found back then. And by God's grace, we have many new members and visitors that have come through the door. And it's important that you know why this church is structured the way it is. It's not by happenstance. It's not by human thought or imagination. We all need to be reminded of our biblical roots. And we need to refocus on the passion and the priorities that we have and the purity of the early church. And we need to struggle through these things as we go into 2022 now. So if you don't mind, turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And as you're looking that up, I'll give you a quick overview of Acts and why, where we are at up to that point. All right, so the main purpose in the book of Acts was to write an orderly and selective account of the early church following the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke, who was a Gentile, a physician, a companion of Paul, to write the gospel according to Luke as a part one and Acts was a part two. They go together. Now the book of Acts begins with the resurrected Jesus being with the apostles for 40 days. And right before he ascends into heaven, he tells them, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here until the promise of the Father comes, the Holy Spirit. So the apostles did as Jesus instructed and the day of Pentecost came, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the first time, the gospel was preached to the church. And when they heard the gospel, it says in verses 38 and 39, many were cut to the heart. And they asked them, what should they do? And Peter tells them in verses 38 and 39, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, whom the Lord God calls to himself. All right, so now we're in 42 through 47 in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And as it is the tradition of our church, please stand with me as I read God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God having favor, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Y'all may be seated. So what are we going to do here this morning is uh, as we enter a new year, we're going to look to why. Why do we do the things that we do? I heard this story and it had a profound impact on me. It has no theological significance whatsoever, but it's going to help me illustrate a few points, and I think it will help uh, drive home. So a daughter and a mother wake up on Christmas morning, and um, they get down great-grandma's pot roast recipe. And step one in the recipe was to cut the ends off the pot roast. So they do that, and they put it in the pan. And the daughter asks the mom, Mom, why do we cut the ends off the pot roast? And the mom says, well, it's step one of the recipe. We just followed great-grandma's recipe. And the daughter says, well, let's call grandma and ask her. So fortunately, grandma's still there, so they call grandma. And they said, great, great, you know, grandma, why, why is step one of the recipe to cut the ends off the pot roast? And grandma said, well, I don't know. Um, and fortunately, they were lucky enough that great-grandma was still alive. So they called great-grandma, and great-grandma answers, and she says, and they ask her the same question. They say, great-grandma, like, when you made this recipe, why do we cut the ends off the pot roast? She says, well, honey, I didn't have a pot big enough for a pot roast. <laughs> so, you know, in that vein, like, some of you may be wondering, why it is, is it the tradition of our church to stand as we read God's word? You know, well, in the book of Nehemiah, The Jewish people are returning from exile. They rebuild the altar. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls of the church. And Ezra the priest is reading from the book, of, reading from the word. And he's just about to reinstate the, uh, the law. And in the fifth verse of chapter 8, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he, as, he opened it, as he opened the book, all the people stood. So that's why we stand while we read God's word. Pastor Vic felt that was super important to institute when we started this church. But my prayer and the prayer of the elders and Pastor Vic as well is that we are not a church who blindly cuts off the ends of the pot roast simply because it's the way that we've done things. So here's a roadmap for the rest of this morning as we look at the seven verses in Acts that we read. The gospel is preached. God softens the heart of sinners. And as Ezekiel 36 foreshadowed long ago, God removes the heart of stone and gives people the heart of flesh that only he can do. They repent, they believe in the gospel, and were baptized, resulting in what verse 42 tells us, four things. They're being devoted to the preaching and teaching of the apostles, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of the bread, and devoted to prayers. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, awe, reverent fear, and a working of the Holy Spirit that's unique to its time but is not completely foreign to us today. The outcome of verses uh, 42 through 43 was 44 through 47. A generous Christian community meeting the needs of the people, gathering together, living sacrificially for the gospel, all which resulted in praise and glory to God, and he was adding to their numbers. So first, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Our first priority as a church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and to teach the Bible. I ran into a friend yesterday, and I asked him to pray for me. And as, you know, I just found out that I was going to be preaching. Pray for you guys, actually. And I invited him to church, and he came, and he had, he had a valid excuse why he couldn't come. And then he told me, man, I'd love to hear your gospel someday. And man, it struck me that this world does not know the gospel. There is no my gospel. There is no your gospel. There is only the gospel. There is the gospel, and there is false teaching. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, warns us in Galatians 1, 1 8 and 9. He tells us, but even if we, Paul's speaking by himself, but even if we, even if I come, or any angel from heaven should preach to you the gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why was the, first, why was the early church devoted to the teaching of the apostles? Because right doctrine and right thinking drives right living and correct theology. And the correct theology drives right living. And what happens? It always results in praise and glory to God. Colossians 3.2 tells us to set our minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on this world. Set your mind. In Matthew 16, the same Peter who boldly preached at Pentecost pulls Jesus to the side and rebukes Jesus because Jesus is telling everybody that he's, gonna, he's foreshadowing his coming, upcoming death. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but rather you're setting your mind on the things of man. You see, setting your mind is not just an intellectual assent. It's not just think about, but rather set your mind is meant to convey an all-consuming mindset. So why was the early church and why are we today devoted to doctrine? Because correct, correct doctrine drives correct theology, which drives correct living, which leads to glory to God. Lastly, Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect and acceptable. So how are we not to be conformed to this world? How are we to be transformed? Through the renewing of our mind. Church, it's the heavy responsibility of the man standing up here weekly to preach the gospel and to explain to you what God has said. This is why Redeemer is committed to walking verse by verse through Scripture. At Pentecost, Peter preaches the, preaches the gospel. You can take the guitars and the piano and the sound booth and the chairs. You can take this building as the Lord has before from us, but you will not take the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word is unique and of central importance, used by the Lord in many ways. Small group teaching and house to house is important. Yes, it is, but it's secondary to preaching. Why? Because fellowship is secondary to doctrine and teaching. Fellowship is secondary. Look back at the four behaviors, what happened as a result from Pentecost. 
being devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking of the bread, and devoted to prayer. Fellowship is second to doctrine and teaching because right and lasting fellowship that produces life can only be generated by right doctrine. And I'll say that again. Right and lasting fellowship that produces life can only be generated by right doctrine. What happens as we learn more about Jesus and follow him more closely? What happens when we become his disciples? He told us. It's printed right there, and Travis read it to us earlier. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right doctrine produces love. Love for God first, and then love for your neighbor. The first neighbor that that love naturally extends to are your brothers and sisters inside this church. If we love Jesus, then we all have true, sacrificial, joyful love for the people of this church. Second, we love the poor, the needy, the lost in this world. And lastly, by God's grace, we'll even have love for our enemies. So how is fellowship displayed? And it's through that third behavior that we spoke of, which is the breaking of the bread. And this has two facets to it. First, the church is commanded by Jesus to never forget how his body was broken and how his blood was shed for us. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper is something that we will never be pushed to the side. And Redeemer is committed to a biblical undertaking of the Lord's Supper. This is this uh, symbolic act established by Jesus himself. So how else do we fellowship by breaking bread? By being in each other's lives and homes. The love of God leads you to love people. You cannot say that you love God and that you do not love the people of the church. Those two statements are incompatible. Loving others in the church means wanting to be around them, having them in your home, not as a show, but as an act of real friendship and love motivated by the love of Christ. The love of Christ and then others naturally caused them to clear up their schedules and prioritize what Peter sums up in the last verse of his second epistle where he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't think for a second that just because people didn't have Facebook back then that they didn't have excuses. Jesus outlines many excuses in his parables. So finally, what was the fourth item listed in the sermon at Pentecost? Devotion to prayer. Prayer, having the attitude of constant dependence upon Jesus, praying about every need, realizing that we will fail without the Holy Spirit at work. And similarly today, Redeemer is a church that is devoted to prayer. Prayer undergirds everything that we do. And we seek to glorify him. Let us never take for granted what Romans 8.34 tells us. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? The veil is torn. We have access to God through Jesus. So the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles. The gospel is preached at Pentecost. God softens the heart of sinners. People repent. They believe in Jesus. They're baptized. Results in being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of the bread, and devoted to prayer. Consequently, verse 43, awe, reverent fear, came upon everybody and a working of the Holy Spirit so that the people knew that God himself was at work. 
Miraculous things were happening by God through the apostles. Things that could only be attributed to God. But I attest to you that miracles, God breaking into the world supernaturally to bear witness to himself, have happened here in this church over the last few years. So one of the requirements of apostolic authority is to be, having had an eyewitness account of Jesus. And today, eyewitness accounts are super important in our criminal justice system. So let me, to re, let me relay to you miracles that I have witnessed from this church. Marriages that are saved from disaster. Patterned sin, broken. Shattered families that are restored. Children with no homes or no hope, not only being taken in and cared for, but loved unconditionally. Not that long ago, an urgent need arose for a young man, a little boy. For he was... Um, in India by way of Liberia, and he needed an earthly mother and father. Within minutes, that boy had that, and all expenses were paid for. How can I stand up here and tell you that this church is committed to funding 100% of adoptions by members of this church unless I know that God will work a miracle and provide? In accordance with James 5, I was at the bedside of a friend who was told he had a 99% chance of never waking up, never being recovered from a brain injury. He was anointed with oil and prayed over, and God breathed life back into him. Why? To glorify himself. The biggest miracle of all, though, church, is you and me. You see, I am a depraved sinner. There is nothing good inside of me that wants to follow the Lord. We are dead in our sins and trespasses, but God saves us. God saves us from destruction. Every sinner who repents and believes in Jesus is a miracle. God breaking into the world supernaturally. I stood back there about a month ago and wept with the young man who was face to face with his sin. And Jesus himself, by the shedding of his blood, wiped his debt clean in the inferno of God because of grace through faith in him. Miracles rejoicing in heaven. Awe, reverent fear filled the church as it should fill your heart today. So back in Acts 2, verses 44 through 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The result was a Christian community with radical generosity, meeting the needs of people, not willing, or excuse me, willingly, not under compulsion, gathering together, living sacrificially for the gospel, all of which resulted in praise and glory to God. When we first started meeting in the middle school, <coughs> Pastor Vic, more times than not, forgot to pass the plate. He forgot to pass the offering plate. It's a cardinal sin in most churches that I come from. <laughs> Yet the Lord supplied and still abundantly does. Our attitude of constant dependence upon Jesus, praying about every need, puts us in the humble, desperate, face-down position that we need to be in, that we want to be in because it gives him all the glory. That's why we cut the ends off of that pot roast, in case you were wondering. <laughs>
And the end result is verse 47, which is the most important part of the continued work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is growing his church and calling more people to salvation, to himself. A time is drawing near to an end, but it's important to highlight a few other core biblical principles and that Redeemer was founded upon. And it was founded upon from further study in the New Testament. And please talk with the elders or Pastor Vic if you have any questions about anything, about the why, like why do we do things here? So this church was organized intentionally with elders who are devoted to prayer and ministry of the word and deacons who take care of practical needs. These people are biblically qualified people. Our musical worship is done very intentionally. We're instructing the Bible to sing and worship God through spiritual songs, hymns, and songs. So did you know that during the Reformation that Martin Luther was fighting against a no-singing policy? So we now fight against musical worship in the church being seen as a form of entertainment, a concert for a critical audience. We see this mentality everywhere as churches are purpose-built to be high-tech performance theaters. The congregation is not an audience to be performed to. It's the church, Christ's bride, worshiping their risen Savior. Congregational singing is our aim, singable music led by earnest Christians from within the church and the most true-hearted, genuine singing of all God's people. The volume is intentionally turned down so you can hear yourselves and other people. The lights are on because this is not a performance. The focus is not on the musicians, rather on Jesus. So I'd like to end where we started. The most central core principle that the church has, expositional preaching of the Bible. And a friend last week attended our service for the first time. And I got a text later that day saying this was the first time they had ever been to a church where the pastor read a scripture and then explained what it meant. So never take for granted that people know or are familiar with what a biblical church functions like. We read from Acts 2. The Holy Spirit falls in the apostles. Peter preaches the gospel. More than 2,000 years later, I'm here standing before you preaching that same gospel, the gospel, the good news for that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But that is only good news, church, if you understand the gravity of the bad news. And the bad news is this, that you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. But take heart, for God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And that if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Pray with me, church. Lord, 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for coming into this world and giving us your word, Lord God, not because you had to, not because you were unfulfilled in any way, Lord God, but because you love us. Lord, I pray that as this church grows and matures, as we send off our first plant and as we send off more plants, Lord God, I pray that we never forget our roots. I pray that we always look back to your word, Lord God. I pray that we always are undergirded by a culture of prayer and that we continue to seek you first, Lord God, in your glory and all that we do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.